Welcome to the Business Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Paul, and this is the podcast where we get into the nitty gritty of all types of business, big, small, glamorous, unglamorous, sexy, unsexy. We get into the details. We talk to people involved in the business and figure out how the sausage is made, really. So follow along and you will hear interviews from many different people in many different kinds of business. Today is a special episode. I have someone that I've known for over 20 years, I believe. That's how old I am now. So I'm in that time where I know I've known Bill for 20 years. He is a noted producer of independent films here in my native Canada. Someone that I went to film school with, producer Jerry Latman of the Dot Film Company. Jerry, welcome. Hey, Paul. Thanks for having me. How you doing, man? Awesome. Uh, I'm very excited about your hat. I think it's great promotion for yourself and just a great logo. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta get up on the soapbox every once in a while, you know. Every once in a while. Every once in a it's while. also my hair is really messy, and uh, I'd prefer to just wear a hat if that's okay. I, I completely agree, and I'm also wearing a hat, so I think. Yeah. Uh, Thought it was it hat day today. Nice I don't have one as cool as you, but one day I, I hope to have a hat as cool as yourself. Have my own company on my hat. Oh, yeah, I think you will. All right, Jerry. So we are going to get into your origin story, your journey to life that brought you to the business that you currently operate in, which is independent films in Canada. And then we're going to talk about the nuts and bolts and the kind of the behind the scenes of what it's really like to be an independent film producer for over 20 years now, I believe. So and that's that's the format of the show. And at the very end, we'll have a few games just to kind of lighten things up and uh, general hijinks and grab ass. So. That's the format. Are you cool with that? Love it. So you and I, we have a history. Yeah. We we have a sorted we have a sorted history. To tell the audience how we know each other. Well, uh, I think we first met uh, in an editing room. I mean, probably met in a couple of classrooms, but we met at uh, Sheridan College back in Oakville. Shout out I to Sheridan was, College. Do you know what the yeah. Sheridan College uh, like sports team name is? Because I have no idea. You know what? I do know this. But I can't remember what it is. It is. We should uh, say we should say go, you know, Griffins or whatever we're called. Because I don't, I don't yeah, even know what it is. I don't want to embarrass myself by taking a guess. All right, uh, Sheridan uh, German Shepherds. Shout out to you. Yeah. Go, go team. What? What? Yeah, we met at Sheridan College. Um, as it was back then, all filmmakers would kind of work on each other's projects, which I really like because I got an opportunity to work with some great people. Um, and I, me coming in, I didn't have any film experience at all. I was more like a business background. Neither did this guy. Neither did this guy. I had zero experience. Really? I didn't I was, know I was straight out, I, I got an English degree of all things. Idiot. You fooled me. Oh, just you straight up me. idiot. Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, you were like uh, the writer uh, back then, weren't you? Like, uh, you I had to be. Do... I had nothing else to offer, really. Yeah. Well, you certainly showed that. Um <laughs> So me, I I had a same. I, I was more business and organizing skills and being able to manage the money. Uh, so, yeah, that was something that uh, I felt comfortable doing. I wanted to do. And I think that's a really interesting story. I probably shouldn't tell. <laughs> to, no, no, you definitely should. You definitely now should. I have Now I have to tell. Uh, basically my origin within the film industry really starts at Sheridan. It starts right where we met. And I was in a job at the time in a, in a really good job, a corporate job in a sales uh, a business who I will not name. 
but it was a good job that had like a car and dental benefits. And I just wasn't really feeling where the job was going. So I decided that I was going to chase my dream of being in the film industry. I wanted to be in the film industry prior to taking this job, but I just couldn't get a job in LA or even in Toronto working as like an, an agent's assistant. I tried to get jobs, interviews. I guess they just weren't hiring. Um, plus it would have started way at the bottom. I had lots of student debts to pay off. So I wanted to be in the business. And after some long decision-making, I decided that I was going to leave my job and go back to school. Only problem was the school I wanted to go to, which was Sheridan, you had to have some sort of prerequisite skill set. You had to have, I believe you had to have some sort of a film resume of sorts. I didn't have that. So I reached out to the, the school program people who I won't name in case I get them in trouble at the time. Yeah, we, we're not trying out. to get sued in this podcast. And thank you very much for <laughs> Yeah, well, I don't think they did anything inappropriate or illegal anyway. But they, either way, we, we, I, we play it safe on this podcast and we appreciate yeah. uh, appreciate you doing that. <laughs> well, I reached out to the school officials and they just so happened. This was in around the summertime. They asked me to come to the orientation for the students that were already enrolled. I hadn't been enrolled. I hadn't filled out an application, nothing. So in the hopes that maybe I could have an interview where they could talk to me and learn a little bit about me. So I did that. I met with two people uh, in the back office at Sheridan College, and I explained to them my story. My story was pretty straight, simple, was I want to be a producer, and I need to be in this program when it starts in a couple of weeks from now. And I'm in a job right now that I'm willing to leave just to be here. And they let me in on a part-time basis, which I think is the latitude that they were allowed to have. I couldn't let me in full-time because I didn't have what everybody else had. So they gave me a shot. They let me in. And in that eight months that I was in that program, I met you. I met Charles, Ted, Mike, all the Lucius, Dave Miwa, not to drop names, but all this, great this, people. This is a great lesson because this just goes to show you that the people you meet early in your life, especially like-minded people in the film program, they're going to stay with you for the rest of your life. So it's very valuable yeah. the network you, you you gain from going to school. If not just the education, the network is very valuable. So, And and let's not forget about the journey of life and and watching these people grow into their roles in the, in the respect. What's really exciting to see is, Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention Muzaffar, who's a really good friend. I worked with Muzaffar regularly now in a slightly different industry, but in a similar capacity. But these people, you get to watch them become something. I mean, all of them have become something in their own right, and they're doing things that are really interesting. Regardless of what it is they do, they're, they're some of the most interesting people that I've had the pleasure of knowing and getting to work with. I want to work with them again. Uh, I got to do my job, though, which is to produce. And maybe they'll, I'll be lucky enough to work with these folks again, um, which is what I'm working on right now. So I'm just to fast forward on the story. It's a long story. It's a long story, but I'll try to shorten it up. But it's essentially we, one of the filmmakers at the school got a grant from the CFTPA, which was the Canadian Film Production Television Association, which I don't think they're in existence anymore. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Should know that, but I don't. <laughs> they gave us 15 grand to make a short film called The Putting Edge. 
Um, so they had all these programs back then where you get a filmmaker could actually get a couple bucks to make like a short film, which would become a calling card, which is what this film was. And then after that, after being working in the commercial world, so slugging away as a PA and taking menial jobs, making minimum wage, working, being there first, leaving last and running all over the city and learning how films are made on commercial sets. It's kind of how I made money. Um, along with having a side job as a painter, uh, did that for a while, which paid really well, actually. It allowed me to keep the film dreams alive. But we ended up getting these grants along the way that would allow us to make these films. And the second grant we got was for a film that you wrote, which was Priya, which was arguably the most successful film slash short film that I'd ever made up until then and arguably to this day uh, from an audience perspective it won audience choice awards so you really wrote uh quite a quite a film for us um and it made a huge difference because on the set of that film uh we decided that the next project after now having done two films two short films we decided that a feature film was the real way to commercial success and to make actual money of course we weren't exactly right uh, about the commercial su success side of it, but we were right about the success part in that there's success comes in different ways. And sometimes success is not overnight. It rarely is. And over time, you learn that as you get older. Uh, but the, the success of Priya spawned the next step into like a feature film. Um, there's a lot of minutiae in there I'm leaving out, of course. There are a lot of steps that we would go through, and, and those steps will likely never be repeated by us. Uh, every film is different. Every process is different. I don't know where you want me to go on that one, but I could... No, I, we're just doing your origin story, so uh, yeah, let's, so let's start there. Let's, let's, a, a big moment for an independent producer is making your yeah. first feature film. That's a very big thing um, for a producer. Talk to me about how you got that made, that first one. Wow. Okay. Well, so it starts with Priya, actually, the short film. Like I said, on the set of that film, we, the decision was made. And I think that's a key milestone is that you need to make the decision that you're going to do it. That's the then, mindset you have to have. Yeah, you made the decision, now work backwards from that. It's a, it's a critical thing that I think it's overlooked when you're starting out is like, you don't actually decide to set a goal and set, uh, create a destination in your mind of where you want to be within a certain period of time, I think you're failing to do the, the key job of planning and planning to do something. And then as human beings, we need to take action to make those things happen. And it's that's the fun part, I think, is figuring out, okay, well, if this is what we want to do. How do we get there? The how we get there is, in the film world at least, I find it often can be very different. For, film, for different filmmakers. My experience might not be the same as it would be for someone ahead of me or behind me, but there are similarities, obviously. You need money, you need actors, you need a camera. Um, can't really make a movie without those things. Uh, I mean, so- Now we should, short, we, should, we should mention at this point, th th this is your first film, Things to Do, which yeah. came out in 2006. Uh, from came, the- from, you're right. Sorry, go ahead. It did come out too. No, no, you're right. It came out in 2006. So Priya 
what Korea was came out in 2005, which means it, it was, was probably shot, shot in 2004. Is that correct? Exactly. Then so from the moment you made the decision in 2004 to the time yeah. things to do actually came out was about a year and a half, two years, you'd say? Yeah, really good. Yeah. Your timing mm -hmm. is succinct. Uh, so the I had the timing burnt into my head as to all how this happened because it was very vivid as to the journey to get to the first feature is quite a roller coaster. And then what happens after that was even more of a roller coaster. But the short well, story let's get is, into the roller coaster, man. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, it's it's a the audience wants to know the details, the stuff no they never hear yeah. about from you know those fake Hollywood jerks. So let's talk about yeah. it. They're not all jerks, just some of them. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it starts with the decision you get, we're going to make this. So then between November, it was in November of 2014 when we were making Priya, uh, up in, and we shot things to do in July of 2005. Mm -hmm. So between for, for the audiences November, at home, just to let you know, this is back before digital technologies had made, right. uh, filmmaking pretty affordable. This was back when things were actually shot on film and they were That's cut right. and edited on film. It was, it was this whole film based process, which was extremely expensive. All the gear yeah. was expensive. All the crew was expensive. This is when filmmaking was extremely hard to do. So go ahead, Jeff. That's a great point, Paul, because that added to the challenge of even just making a movie. You couldn't just pick up your phone or pick up a camera and just go shoot away and shoot all day long. You had to be very, uh, you had to budget. How much yeah, film do we need? People don't realize that this is almost caveman technology at the time, but when you would change, yeah. someone, when the camera assistant would change, would have to change the role of film on the camera, like a Bugs Bunny cartoon, they would have, yeah. they would put the film in a light proof bag and they would have yeah. to change the film through this intricate process without looking at it because light would damage it. So there were these yeah. these ninja kind of camera assistants who could unroll, unload film and then reload film into a magazine, which it was, it was the IATSE test for a camera system. They would blindfold people and have them change different mags of different kinds of film on different cameras to see if they could do a blindfolded like samurais or ninjas or something. But uh, this, is, this is the time it was back then. I didn't know that that was the test they had to go through. Yeah, that was the test. That was the camera assistant's test. Uh, well, I think it's worth a shout out to Adam Torini because we're going to call back to him on this roller coaster about to go on. Camera Adam assistant Torini, Adam Torini. There you go. Uh, AC, he was uh, he was quite an interesting character. Still really is an interesting him. character. Oh, yeah. He's a great guy. Uh, I used to go to movies with him in between the making of movies, and we used to talk about lots of stuff. Got to get back to hanging out with him. I think he's got a, a, a mate now that keeps him busy, so... She's a very uh, nice lady. I've met her. She's, she's oh, you, you met her? I yeah, never once. Met her. I met her once. What's her name? I guess are we allowed I to don't recall, her? but uh, he helped. Oh. He, I, I gave him a job as a camera assistant on a failed short that I did, but uh, I, I did meet her. Back to the story, I guess. So, yeah, yeah. you're right. So from November to July of 2005, we decided that we would go. Uh, we had to write a script. There was no script, but there was an idea that uh, Ted and Mike had that they were bouncing around already, like what would be the feature. And it was centered around like a, a high school teacher living in a high school. What would that be like? And 
the birding thing, this this is ended up being what was originally called the ornithology of Ron Spencer. No, this are we still talking about things to do, or are we still talking about? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Well, I'm getting, I, I'm actually wrong about my own story. Yeah. Yeah. They, <laughs> when things to do was successful. Uh, so let's just talk about getting to things to do. The whole process. I'll, everything. I'll come back to the birder story. I, I got my yeah. stories mixed. Bur up. Birder is your second feature film. Things to do. We're still on the one. I don't remember. So. I don't remember actually the genesis of the idea for things to do specifically. But let's just talk about the business side, getting it done, the negotiations. And so they wrote a things. script. We wrote yeah. a script. They wrote a script. Had something by January, a first draft, and naively we thought okay we'll go to sundance film festival try to find some financiers a distributor maybe some actors we just thought we would go meet people so we got in a car and ted and i drove down to uh los angeles uh and we made a stop first we went to la to meet with daniel wilson who would eventually appear in the film who was also uh, a cousin of the wilson brothers owen and luke wilson he's a cousin i believe that is correct I there don't know the exact family structure, but I believe that's correct. If you look at his um, face, you know what family he's in, I think. Yeah. I'm sure Dan won't disagree with that. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> but we met with Dan. We stayed at his place. He was staying in L.A. I, that guy's a world traveler. I don't know what he was doing down there. I think he was editing at that time, or I'm not sure. Dan was a bit of a mystery, I guess. But he took us to uh, – we got to play poker at the Hustler Club where I got a royal flush first time ever. And it was a hell of an experience because I was new to poker back then. And I ended up going to LA having this weird odyssey thinking we were going to meet all these film people. Okay, let's go to LA. And anyway, we went to the poker club and I got a royal flush and I didn't max it out. You know how, when you get it, you got to like kind of play coy, yeah. play it cool and not like, Oh, like, but I, Nobody was biting. I bet, I bet a small amount, just hoping somebody would call me. Hoping. No. Nobody called me. And I had yeah. to. Anyway, I got the pot at least. I won the hand. Anyway, fast forward. We stayed there just to connect with Dan and figure out what we're going to do with this movie. Then we went to Sundance. Uh, and we walked the streets. We got a cheap place to stay. Uh, we were eating peanut butter and bologna and really poor, didn't have a lot of money, but we thought we would try to make some relationships around the industry. A little bit of a naive approach, but it was good to go there because it came back to really have a proper ending, um, which I'll get into in a minute. But we left there, didn't make too many contacts. I think so, we saw so John. Would, would you literally just kind of like walk around Sundance and try to look at someone who seemed like a financier and try to approach them like a hot chick in a bar? Like, is that what this, is that what the strategy was? We tried to talk to people and look for opportunities to pitch the project and, and find out like the technology back then was not the same as it was now. This is too. No, social media did not exist back then. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I, I don't think their iPhone existed yet. Yeah, no one knew who anyone was. Phones. It was just like, yeah. that guy looks like a financier. Let's talk to him. You know, turns out he did owns a car dealership. Yeah. Did LinkedIn exist? I don't know. No, I don't, don't think not. it does not in its current form at least. So we didn't really mm -hmm. have a way of figuring like Ted was pretty good at recognizing who people were. I mean, and then we have to build up the courage to go talk to him. I think just being there and absorbing the atmosphere 
mm. was good enough to to fuel the fire. Say, hey, okay. So you had Sundance, movie. and then you come back. Yeah. It was the, yeah. the, you, you didn't you didn't actually establish any relationships, but you no came money, back with some energy no or something. Yeah. Yeah. So along comes February because uh, I think it was in Fe I don't remember what when Sundance took place. It was either January or February. So winter winter time. We come back and we're like, okay, well, that didn't really go as well as we thought it would. March rolls around. Uh, I think it was sometime in late March, or early April. Uh, it was, I remember it being nice out because it was on the deck of my parents, uh, what was their cottage at the time in Wasega Beach. And my dad pulls out a check for 5,000 bucks. And this is a key point too, because this was like the seed of what would grow into become the first feature film. So he hands me the first investment in this project. And when I, I was not expecting it and he handed it, to, of course I asked for it at one point, I told my parents about the project, but they were the first people to come in on this project. And they said, this is from your grandmother. I think my dad had received an inheritance or something from my grandmother. And he took a little piece of it and said, here you go. This is going to get you guys started. So I took that and I, and I just started knocking on doors. This is another key learning point right here. If you want to put a little graphic up, but <laughs> hit up your family and friends that have a little bit of money and ask for just a little bit of money. Don't ask for a lot. That's actually a uh, a way of funding. It's the family and friends round. So I in, think a lot of people do this know all that. The time. So yes, yeah. so this is this. So this is your family and friends round. You're 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 trying to gather money from your contacts, right? Yeah, and it's quite possible that a lot of did you people... have did you have a budget that you were shooting for? Yeah, yeah, we did. I don't remember did, did... what it was. I think it was okay. like a hundred and fifty thousand. We were trying. Okay. I think it was that or like close to two hundred thousand. Uh, I'd have to go back and look at our budgets back then. But we were but it not was around that. It was, it was around 150 to 200. You yeah. were trying to we, race the way that we looked at, Yeah, the way we looked at the making of this film was this, is that while we've shot enough short films by then, each short film takes about four to five days to make. So we just multiplied that by four, right? For four, uh, four days per week or five days a week, multiplied by four, we're shooting five short films. Sorry, four short films. Um, and so that means that all the costs would also get multiplied um, by about that amount. And we, we just set a goal to have a certain dollar amount. I think it was between 180 and 200,000 to make the film. Now that was the original budget range as my, as I recall it. But then at some point as the summer months approach, cause we set a date for like June, we wanted to shoot in June. It needed to be summertime. And we needed to make commitments on locations and camera and crew and cast. And we needed to start making decisions. You have this idea in your mind, you're going to make this thing. You have an idea of when it's going to get made, a date. And now you're heading towards that date like a train off the tracks. And you can't stop the train once it starts moving. Well, when my dad gave me that check, it's like, okay, I can't give this back. I got to run with this. So if i give it back i'll probably never get it again um so the goal was that that started it off and then i started hitting up other family members two thousand here five thousand there now some people don't have family members that have that kind of money to just give you or invest in your film 
Yeah, we took this very seriously. We created an investor prospectus, a business plan. We carefully thought through at that time what the going rate was, what, what you could what you could sell a phone for, like what was the blue sky version, and then what was the conservative estimates. And that's why we didn't want to raise too much money because we didn't think we would be able to pay it all back. So, and, Jared, you, so the way the film, independent film process that you were dealing with was that this was completely independent. It, it, yeah. You raised money from family and friends outside of yes. any kind of Hollywood system or studio system. And the idea right. was we're going to create this film, which is now a product, and then we will mm -hmm. sell the product to the highest bidder. Correct? Again, okay, so so who were who were you who were you who were you thinking about selling to? Did you have any thoughts about that? And who did you end up selling the movie to? Well, and, and did the again, and did the shooting go well? Did the shooting go smooth? These are great questions. Uh, and from a business entrepreneurial standpoint, you really got to know who your target audience is. And I know we talked about that, and we knew we wanted to make a comedy. And I think the the flaw in that idea back then was that comedies don't travel as well. And we kind of ignored that. We're like, no, this is what we want to do. This is what we think the market wants. And that, I think, was a bit of a misstep. Um, in term, Like, if you're going to go out and raise X number of dollars, whatever it is, you want to put that money to the best possible use. You want to make a project that has marketability. Well, we thought, and back then, I think comedies were probably a little bit more, there was more potential that it could travel. But the comedy in Eastern Europe versus North America is not the same, let's face it. In different parts of the world, comedy is seen differently. It's felt, it's different emotions, you know, and we didn't really think about that. And I'm not so sure we, I think it did come up in a few conversations, but we just kind of brushed it off and said, no, this is what we want to do. And I think that was a bit of a, I still, I don't regret making the film, but I, uh, I think that business-wise, if you're going to get your first film off the ground, it will serve you better if you're picking a, a concept that is a little bit more universally and could travel better from a market standpoint. So comedy, so, so such as such as what you felt, you felt like you picked the wrong genre as far as appealing to appealing to um, foreign or other markets. What in, in hindsight, do you think you should have picked a different genre? It's that argument has been made and i would argue that yes we i don't regret making so so, so which genres travel the best do you think i i would argue thrillers universally do really well um again i'm not so thrillers or that. horror movies like horror because because scary movies i mean i i watch foreign movies that are scary and and scary scary travels scary does i, I would translate. agree i yeah. would not disagree with you i'm not a sales agent and i'm not a distributor so I'm qualified enough insofar as I'm a film producer. So I should preface it with that is that speak to a sales agent, speak to a distributor that knows the market and knows what's actually selling. But mm. I would say that thrillers and horrors do sell. And you got to ask yourself, what kind of movies do you want to make? Like what is true to you? I mean, just because you like it doesn't mean it's going to make money. So there's a balance there is that there's a lot of people that make um when you're picking your first film if that's what you want to do you have to be true to yourself i think if if you want to do a good job you got to be you got to make something you're really passionate about you really want to make 
but you also got to keep the business side at least you, you have to consider it because if you don't you're you know you could be watching the movie in your basement with your family members for the rest of your life and no one else will ever see it so it has to have some that, that, that can happen films have ended up that oh way. it does i'm you sure it does films. happen yeah i've got a couple movies of my own that nobody's ever seen Hey. And they'll probably never see. <laughs> um, but talk, talk about talk about just talk about take us through the production, the actual shooting of, a pre, of uh, yeah. things to do, and then That's talk a, about the process of selling it afterwards and how that went. Regarding production, because the financing, the way we finance the, the the short version is that we tried to cobble together as much money as possible to pay for things. So we had this. These uh, we had a budget in mind of what we wanted to spend on accommodation on camera, and the money was just kind of just trickling in, and it was literally trickling in while we were shooting the film. At some point, we reached a green light point. We're like, okay, this is enough money to get us through production. We'll worry about the post production later. We'll be able to get a film in the can, literally into a can. Because uh, it was film, 16 millimeter. I think it was super 16. And by the way, Priya was 35 mil. Um, so we were definitely shooting on film on both those movies. We did this all the wrong way. This is not how movies are supposed to be made. You're not supposed to you're supposed to have the money in place before you pick up the camera. Well, we did I, it. I, I I think this is a good point you're making because a lot of these yeah. ventures back in the day, especially back in the, like, but this was before we had really good information on the internet. And sure. we just had to figure things out. And yeah. almost everything you did, unless you had a very strong um, mentor presence in your life, like maybe your dad or yeah. someone you knew could mentor you directly. If you didn't have that, you were just out there on your own, just trying to figure it out. Like there, there was a real kind of virginity about that time where it, you do, you, when you did things on your own for the first time, you were just really out there on your own. There was no one to help you, and you just had to figure it out. I feel like that happened a lot in the film world that I was living in. A lot of filmmakers were just getting things made whatever mm -hmm. way possible, yeah. uh, and I was one of them. Um, and I completely like your point and agree with the idea of a mentor because that's one thing we didn't really have. We, you know, I called upon the instructors from Sheridan from time to time asking questions, but that's not a mentorship relationship. Mentorship is like they're there every step of the way telling you, no, that's not a good idea. You should think about this or that. And, and they know, they know the, the already worn path. They've done this before so they can allow you to avoid pitfalls. I mean, had I had somebody in there telling me, no, no, you don't have the money yet. You can't shoot. Well, we may not have ever shot that movie. There's a there's a silver lining to the method that we did, which I'll I'll speed up and get to. So, getting back to the production question, so we were essentially just trying to pay for things as they were coming at us. The crew was on board no matter what; they were going to get paid something, but they knew they were going to get peanuts. Some great people that we know to this day that I'll continue to call upon if I ever do get budgets. These are the people that. Um, helped us make this, this first film. So there was a lot of challenges and a lot of hiccups. And if it wasn't for the crew that kind of stuck it out and cause we had to feed them and we had to put them in a house. And other than that, we already had the gear. So we knew that if long as we had the money to pay for the gear, 
we could make a movie because we had the team, we were on an island and we were all there with the same goal of like, okay, let's shoot this with this crazy idea in our head that we're going to sell it for a million bucks <laughs> at the Sundance or Slamdance Film Festival when this is all over. Again, very naive. And, but we were, you know, we had a goal and we were sticking to it. Okay, so we made the go. movie. How'd it go? It got, it got, it got finished. But when the movie was done in July, Ted and Mike got busy at editing because we wanted to make the Sundance uh, and Slamdance cutoff. And Slamdance, I think they still have this at this time, is that they take, uh, we didn't get into Sundance, but they take Slamdance takes first-time directors uh, at, the, at the time. I think they still do that where you have to be a first-time director, and this was Ted's first film. So we submitted to them. We didn't get into Sundance, but we got into Slamdance. And at that point, we're like, holy crap. Within a span of less than a year, they wrote the script. We f poorly financed it, but we did. We shot it, and then it got into what we thought was a perfect festival for this independent film. Um, and, and at that point it's like, okay, well now we just have to get it in front of all these distributors. We need some help. We need, we need to get a hold of these people. Uh, and again, back then the internet was not proliferated. Uh, we didn't have easy access to these people. So Mike Stasco, who went to Columbia, suggested the idea of getting a sales agent. One, he had, I Co think Columbia university, by the way, Mike. Okay came up with the idea to get a sales agent. Um, and that was for, to help us navigate. We knew we we're going to be in slam dance. So okay, so they got the, we, so how did you get your sales agent? We literally cold called a gentleman uh, by the name of Stephen Beer, who um, agreed to take the film on and help open some doors. Okay, so what does a sales agent do, and how does that deal work? How does the well, sales agents do quite a bit of stuff, I I, I imagine. Uh, mm -hmm. But he was he wasn't actually a quote unquote sales agent. He was more of um, an advisor, uh, a film advisor of sorts. I don't think sales agent is the right term for Stephen. He's a lawyer, first of all. Um, but we brought Stephen in to help us navigate the waters of slam dance and get distributors to show up that's what we hired him to do and okay, we did so have, you hired him for have, his connections to distributors basically pr pretty much okay um, all right did, was, was it a uh, was it like a, a retainer, retainer. Or was it like, was it more was like a retainer? a retainer all right so so, so so talk about just that just talk about how the how the retainer works and what he does and how that relates to you selling the movie and how and how did you sell the movie and you know how did that go right well, regarding the retainer and the, the, the structure of that deal, honestly, I don't remember the specifics of it. I just remember that we hired Steven, so he received a retainer, which is a fee, mm -hmm. to operate on our behalf and get distributors to come to the screenings that were available at the festival. And that was it. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he was also going to, if a sale were to come out of that, he would then help us negotiate, I guess, the price. And back then, films back then films did sell. And so we weren't completely off our rocker. It was a matter, it was a matter of did we make a good enough film that someone would want to purchase lock, stock, and barrel. We wanted to sell the whole thing. They could
take it and distribute it wherever or however they wanted. We were we would have been happy with that. Uh, um, by the way, Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels is a great independent film from the nineties. Yeah, so please it's a very good film. Yeah. Guy Ritchie. Yeah. Um, Bet you so, produced that, eh? That would have been awesome. Yeah, I missed out on that one. He called me up, but I was too busy at the time. Oh, that would have been a good one to produce. I told him to go find someone else. Yeah. So in any event, uh, yeah. so we got the slam dance, and Stephen did a great job of connecting us to the film was watched by uh, Fox Searchlight, um, Sony Pictures, um, and I believe there's one or two other ones in there that had come to some of the screenings. There were three screenings in total, I believe. One was in Salt Lake City, oddly. But Slamdance, for those who don't know, is hosted at the same time and in the same town of Park City when Slam or Sundance is on. It's kind of like a yeah, so, brother, brother. So Sundance started off as a very independent kind of small film festival. And then films from Sundance started selling for really high amounts of money. And then it became very Hollywood. So it became part of the Hollywood annual thing where it's like everyone in Hollywood goes to Sundance when Sundance is on to look for the next big film. So it got to be very, um, I guess, it just went Hollywood. Sundance went Hollywood and kind of Commercial. abandoned their independent roots. And Slamdance popped up as a reaction to Sundance being too commercial. So Slamdance became what they felt like Sundance had started out as and then become corrupted by the Hollywood system. So that's that's where Slamdance kind of fits in this whole thing. Slamdance is kind of like the more punk rock, more true independent type of movies. So please yeah. go. Ahead. Yeah, so we screened it. Uh, and what was also pretty cool is a lot of the crew, Adam Torini included, came came down to be there with us. Uh, my girlfriend, my brother, um, and all the film crew. A lot of people who I'm friends with to this day. Uh, they, that was a very uh, exciting time. Our film was uh, playing there, and then Stephen got us into some New York party. There was uh, people, naked people painted. I remember that. And then there was a basketball court in the place. It was pretty ritzy stuff. Uh, we weren't really used to seeing that, but good time. Uh, and the best part was that our, our film friends were there to enjoy the experience. Um, I mean, I don't want to start naming who was all there, but it was... No, no just want to, don't keep us in suspense, Jerry. Did it get sold? Well, did it get sold to? Okay, well, it didn't get sold. Oh, uh, okay. I, at the, at the festival, it didn't get sold. But while we were there, this mm. is the uh, silver lining, is that Telefilm Canada uh, called us and asked us, they had heard about the film, and I guess they wanted to know what we were working on next. That happened. And secondarily, what happened is Mongrel Media also called us because they were creating this new thing called the Festival Collection that was to be uh, in Blockbuster, they were collecting films for a, a library of films that were independent that would have a shelf or have a home on the Blockbuster shelf. Which Blockbuster is, is an old video store for the millennials yeah. who have never heard of Blockbuster. Yeah. They used to rent DVDs and yeah. I believe VHS at one point. You had to actually leave your house to get a movie to watch back in the day before the internet, yeah. to, to, before Netflix took over. So. 
Okay. That, was a, that was an experience that shouldn't be overlooked. I mean, mm-hmm. go, going out on a Friday night and picking up some junk food and renting a movie. I feel like the people, the kids of today that didn't get to go through that, it, yeah. I think it was a great experience. I met one of my good friends doing that. He hey. used to work at a video store and we're yeah. friends to this day. And uh, we forged a relationship because he worked at a video store. So, All right. So you had this mongrel media deal that we're, we're yeah. trying to get into trying to get independent films into Blockbuster. Yeah. And they did it. They, mongrel media has got to be, I, I don't want to speak about any other distribution companies, um, but mongrel media, in my opinion, is top shelf in terms of like a distribution company. Um, they, they did more than we could possibly ask them to do with our film. And to put it into that collection um, was great for us um, because it opened the door to other opportunities, specifically the telefilm deal. I don't think the mongrel deal did that specifically. I think the film did that. But being able to say that the film was distributed by this reputable Canadian, uh, which was also at one point an upstart with Hussein Amarshi's company. He's a phenomenal person. Uh, he did a great job distributing the film, him and his team. Very pleased to be part of that collection. Telefilm calls, like I said, what's up next? And that's where the, the, the idea of the teacher in the high school. Oh, well, let's, let's, let's just, let's just finish off. Uh, sorry, one sec, one sec. So things to do, the distribution yeah. and sale of things to do. Was it profitable? Yeah. Did you get your money no. back? Let's talk about no. the, the aftermath. It was not. Okay. So this is a case no. where. You made your first film, you guys distributed, uh, but it 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 was not uh, it was not profitable at the end. How did that impact? I guess the finance. Like, were you able to return any money to investors, your your friends and family investors? Uh no, no. Oh, okay. okay. Um, we with the so it only the covered that... the expenses of making the movie, basically. Well, yeah, I mean. The money that was invested in things to do, we we received some money from Mongrel Media that we used to pay off that were ongoing debts on the film. Mm-hmm. It wasn't enough to cover the full cost of the film, so it never fully recouped. Oh, okay. Um, and so, it, so how it, does that work? Who gets paid first when something like that's happen? That happens. Well, that really depends on your deal structures with investors and with your suppliers. Usually, mm-hmm. the the budget of the production needs to be paid. Uh, and usually suppliers, they're not loaning you money. They're not investing. They need to be paid for their services. So generally speaking, you pay them off. And there were debts owing on the film to just finish it and to be able to deliver it to Mongrel Media because we had to finish the actual film. We had to do a digital intermediary, which was going from film to digital. And that was a process that cost a certain amount of money. Then there was music licensing. Um, okay, so so all the... All of the the the, the corporate the corporations the the people the suppliers the those people had to get paid first and unfortunately yeah. the friends and family were not able to get paid back. A, a lot of the money that we had received from Mongrel would go to like post production costs. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, because you didn't have enough money to actually do the post production, so then that paid for the post production. Unfortunately, investors had to take a loss on oh. that, but they do have they do have a film that will last forever now so that that is a silver, yeah. silver lining yeah i mean the investors that came in early on the on the film 
uh, you know, we you always have to explain the risks to an, an equity investor. They have to understand that this is a risky business. It's not the most ideal way to finance a film. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we did have a business plan and we did think it through and we did do calculations and we used market comparables. And I guess the issue is that film is subjective. The response that we got from the distributors... It's, it- it's, it's like any other it's like any product you you launch it you see how it does and you know it's, well it's some products have a some products have a function that you pay yes. for that function yeah. whether or yeah. not they deliver on that function like you could buy a uh, a, a doorstop right. uh, or whatever and if it's a shitty doorstop no one's going to buy it hmm. some people will just buy it because it provides a function but a film is a subjective creative endeavor and if the distributors... and that's the risk you take with the, this kind of thing right so um on, on, on the on the bright side you got a, your film you got your name attached to a feature film that got made and distributed went to uh festivals uh, on the downside it did not recoup which happens in independent films people don't talk about that a lot but it does happen uh it's a risky business oh it happens a lot i would imagine i mean right so so you're mentioning, uh, so take us to your next, you, you, you have other production credits on some other films, but uh, mm-hmm. the, the, yeah. next, the next major production that I guess you had your name on was a, another collaboration between you and the director, Ted. Uh, and tell us about that. It's called uh, The Birder at the time, but it's called Birdman Now on IMDb. Do you, you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, that's a, a huge roller coaster of a story, which we could probably... I'll try to make it short. The short okay. version is that well, the film, well you, you, just 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 take out something now. Then, if you if you whatever direction you like to take, I will. I, I will. I'll do it as fast as I can too, because there, there's so much detail in there. I don't want to bore people with all the details, but I will give the ones that I think are most important. Essentially, mm-hmm. at the festival, we got the call from Telefilm about what else we we're working on, and we pitched what was known as the ornithology of Ron Spencer. And I've never stopped liking that title. I've always liked that title over the birder or what is now known as the Birdmen. Mm-hmm. I don't like the title, the Birdmen. I never have. I understand why the name needed to be changed, but I don't like it. Okay. I like the birder second, but the ornithology of Ron Spencer was the first title of the film. It took six years and thankful to telefilm for all the support that we got in those six years they funded every round of development from the outline right through to the final script six years from 2006 all the way to 2012 that film was in development so in my opinion that's way too long <laughs> so let's 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 talk about that um you, you mentioned on things to do the financing was friends and family for yeah the ornithology of ron spencer we're going to call it i guess um Talk about how that was financed, how much of it was telefilm, how much of it was other sources. Let's just talk about how that got. Well, again, that is a bit of a roller coaster of a question because it got financed and then unfinanced once. By, by, by who? Prior. Well, initially, um, we had gone around and raised a bunch of private equity from private investors. From actual um, investors or from friends and family? Uh, some were friends and family, and then okay. a lot were investors that were in our ecosystem, I guess, people that we knew who knew people, and we okay. would go around. We created a business plan. Um, and after having gone through things to do, we 
try to keep things more um, economical. Uh, so, so how much of the funding, realistic. like how, how does the funding pie break down as far as how much comes, what percentage comes from telefilm, what percentage comes from private equity? How did that work? Well, with this particular film, the lion's share of the funding, well, I, I got to pull out a calculator now, Paul. I mean, no, just uh, just off the top of your head, would you, what would you estimate was telephone, I, I, which is a government agency, okay. by the way? So I'd say about forty percent was private investors, maybe okay, so sixty percent ballparking. So sixty percent uh, no, telefilm. No, 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 it was not oh. telefilm. So this is this this is the interesting part of the telephone story is that we go through six years of development, um, then we move into the production phase. They agree to fund a large percentage of our budget. And this was a $1.2 million budget at the time, mm -hmm. around, that, around that number. And we agreed to, um, they agreed to support the project. The last piece of the puzzle was going to be OMDC film funding. So we had Telefilm agreeing to give us a good chunk of money. We had some private investors tied into the project. Um, I think at that time, Harold Greenberg was a piece of the puzzle. And then there's the tax credits. So Harold Greenberg is another is another funding agency, which was set it up was. as a charity. Yeah. Yeah. They're no longer in existence. Uh, okay, as far I, as I know. I'm just trying to break it down for the viewers. Yeah. So, so there's these funders that, um, and not all of them agreed to support the project. Right? Telefilm came in and that was the big one because they're the national funder. And the fact so, so talk about this. how you, 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 you kind of, Enter the telefilm stream from yeah. certain money you get from the script writing phase, and you kind of ride that stream upstream to production. Talk about that. Yeah, so I think it's in the interest of telefilm to support the projects that they've developed, and I think that's something that's very common. That if they're in on the early stage and they go through the whole phase uh, of developing the project, then they're more inclined to invest in the production, which they did they agreed to do. Um, we also had to get a distributor in order to get film funding. You have to get a distributor. So um, we were able to do that. Uh, but the linchpin was the uh, OMDC funding at that in that particular. So what, what does OMDC stand for? What, what is that? Uh, at the time, it was called the Ontario Media Development Corporation. All right. Is this a um, is this an Ontario provincial government organization? Yeah, uh, it is. They, okay. they, they they fund the development. They're a very helpful organization for. Okay, so yeah, just talk about how that worked out. OMDC um, did not support the application at that round, and that basically crippled the project um, because without that piece of the pie, we don't have the budget that we put forward. So we had to give the telephone money back um but we envisioned a project that could be made for less uh we had raised all this private money um we had the support of the local economic system where we were going to shoot the film and we we had to we had to make this film and through a roller coaster story, I mean, there's so many aspects to it, but there's everything from casting to the camera package to the crewing up of the film. Eventually, what happened when we lost that, uh, when that application didn't come through, we had to reconfigure the project. Um, 
Uh, up so, until so that you, point, had to, you had to shrink the budget, basically. I had to shrink the budget and go in with a different vision. Um, okay, so you started off at 1.2. Uh, do, we do brought you know it down. To, yeah, we brought yeah. it down to like the the six fifty range. Okay, all right. Which is a huge drop, and yeah. but Manageable, in that drop, basically. a lot of things had to go, <laughs> uh, including you know producers' fees went to zero. So it's either we make this film or we don't. Are you willing to sacrifice? your stake in the project, your fees. So essentially, I worked on this project for eight years and didn't make anything, mm -hmm. but I made the film. Do you still so, have, do you still have an ownership stake in the film? Uh, of course, yeah. Oh, the company, okay. the company of which I have shares in has uh, a stake, as do the investors. Mm -hmm. So it's a viable entity at this point. It's an ongoing concern. The film is but not, that's a that's a great point to make because films and media like this, when you make it, it's it's there forever. It's a, it's an asset forever. I mean, yeah. this could be you, your films could be watched and then, um, I guess, revisited years from now by a new generation who thinks these are the greatest things ever. You know, yeah. you never know. So, when you make a yeah. movie, it's an asset that you put money into once, but it could theoretically create money. For the rest of its existence as long as you have copyright which is like i think 50 years after your death disney keeps pushing yeah. copyright back so you know you might be able to own it forever who knows it depends on what disney does yeah well we'll uh we'll be certainly trying to i mean even that goes for things to do it's not uh, out of the realm yeah of yeah no, yeah movies. absolutely this goes movies uh albums music works yeah. of art that get produced they they are assets that last they're durable assets they last forever so yeah, I mean, some some projects probably last or stand the test of time better than others. But the with all these new streaming windows that pop up, uh, it creates an opportunity to uh, sell your completed works because there's a lot of factors that go into selling a Canadian film. For one, it's can these projects we're talking about are all CanCon, so that means Canadian content. That means they're created and produced by Canadians. Uh, and so the Canadian networks out there uh, might be more inclined. Uh, they, they need to fill their airways with Canadian content, a certain percentage. Obviously, they're looking for newer content as the years go by. But from time to time, you can slip in an older project and make a sale. Um, well, here's the thing. You guys have the number one bird-watching movie Canadian, sorry, Canadian produced bird watching movie of all time. <laughs> no one can take yeah. that away from you. Yeah, absolutely. You own the bird watching niche as far as Canadian films go. Absolutely. You, you, name me another Canadian film about bird watching. That's I, can't. I can't. I can't. can't do it's it. It's not possible. It's impossible. Now, no. unfortunately for you, at roughly the same time as The Birdman came out, a larger um, budget Hollywood movie with Jack Black came out, which is also about bird watching. So you cannot. Yeah. Unfortunately, claim the worldwide title of best bird watching movie. Oh. Very yeah. terrible timing, uh, which yeah. you could not control. Um, well, there was two films actually that came out around the same time, around the same subject. Oh matter. God, really? And one there was, was a like second a, bird watching film that came out. Yeah, there was called The Birder's Guide to Everything. Oh no! Oh. So, so the birder came out in 2013. 
And uh, what was the Jack Black uh, was, movie called? I think it was 2014, the big year. Okay. And if you want to look up the other one, I think it's called The Birder's Guide to Everything. And I think it had um, oh, drawn a blank. I mean, the, the Jack Black movie had Jack yeah. Black. So, yeah. And it also, didn't it also have Steve Martin? Did it? Or Owen oh. Wilson? Oh, that sucks. Yeah. I think it did. I could be wrong. Yeah. What was the Jack name Black of the movie, was, though? Yeah. Owen Wilson's in it. And yeah, Steve Martin. Those the big, the big year. Birders. Okay. It's called The Big Year. It's called The Big Year. Yeah. And it's yeah. about bird watching. And it came yeah. out in 2011. And your movie came out after this, unfortunately. Oh, that's bad timing. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Ugh. I feel like they stole the idea, actually. But I can't prove it. You know, that's how it is. And then there's another film. The, called... the craziest, the crazy thing is, it's like in my entire life, I have never even heard of a bird watching movie. And in the span of the span of two years. And the span of two three years, of three of them come out. Like, what the yeah. heck, man? How does that happen? That's the way the world works, Paul. I don't I know. know I can't I know. unless they're unless they're got some sort of uh, audio um, they're listening in on what's happening up in Canada because there's a lot of talented people in this country. And I feel like the U.S. are listening in to what's happening on some frequency. I think they are, too. Uh, I think they're trying they're, to steal They're stealing our all our good people. They're stealing yeah. all our good ideas. Oh, and another one, your first movie, Things to Do, which is about someone who I think thinks they're going to die and starts making yeah, a list of things to do. Make a, makes a list of things that he would like to do before he dies. And then also right around stolen. that time, the movie called The Bucket List showed up. Yeah. Stole Your Morgan Thunder Freeman. again. Yeah. yeah. What, Morgan what is going on here, man? How did Hollywood that always me. I don't know. You, you, oh. got, you got rug pulled twice, bro. I know. I know. I'm not yeah. giving the up. The first, time, the first time, you can be like, uh, you, you can kind of understand it. But yeah. to get... To, to get uh, front ran by a, another bird watching movie at that point you got to be thinking two, two bird watching two bird watching movies you and the other one ran. has ben kingsley in it by the way yeah like what were you the guys looking at each other like what the heck is going on guys we, like what, there was a moment there was and a moment and, and did we you were... actually think to yourselves okay we need to pivot to another um obscure hobby yeah. movie like what, what were your thoughts actually so after the birder i took mm -hmm. a bit of a break because i covered costs on the birder yeah. getting into the financials i mean um it was a great film the i owe everything to the investors who made that happen without them the film doesn't get made we didn't want to give up on making the film because if you give up with all that effort then you have nothing you have nothing to show for it um we needed so, to so pivoting to another movie or rewriting the script that, that was never considered. You were just like, no, we're, we're pot committed. We have to, we have to follow through. Yeah. We needed to make, we're in the business of making movies. We have to make a movie. Uh, okay. And we had one that did, we did just you feel like, that. did you feel like you would lose so much momentum that it was better to just get it done? And, 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 and if it's good, it, was, it will work no matter what, if it's, you know what I mean? Well, we already believed that it was good uh, okay. coming in. Regardless so you're going to stay the course. You're just like. we. Well, yeah. There, I mean, life throws curveballs at you. You can't shy away 
when a challenge gets in front of you. Okay. I mean, if you do that, you're never going to get anywhere. You're never going right. to, if, when the chips are down and it doesn't look like this is going to work out, if you say, okay, I give up, well, then I guess it's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. with that particular so you, so you, film, so you pressed, you pressed on. You just we spent, like, we spent at that point, we spent about eight years trying to make that film happen. And we were at the threshold of it happening. You're like, we have to do it. We got it. It's been eight years. We got to do this thing. It's got to be made. I mean, mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time developing the actual IP, the, the script. This, uh, this was not like things to do where we rushed a script mm-hmm. and we maybe made a good movie. No, we believe we had a good movie. And the business plan, budget was low. All the parameters matched up. We just had a lot of trouble getting it financed. And I think that's very common. It's not unlike any other film. Uh, It's just that some films, I guess, maybe they don't stay the course and they choose to move on to another project. Or in some cases, they do stay the course and they make the film. And that's what we ended up doing. We had to do it for a lot less. I mean, you got to give credit to Tom Cavanaugh and Fred Willard who agreed to continue. Shout out to those guys, man. Yeah. For and Graham Greene for all agreeing to work on the film. These are legends. These are legends in the game you had. Yeah, we're very lucky to have them, and Mm -hmm. we're lucky to have the support of Telefilm, and and the the Telefilm eventually did come back in. By the way, they did support the project uh, at a much lower level, obviously, but we were still grateful. To have them, and I am also grateful to the distributor that stood up and said, "Yeah, we'll distribute this film." So if these pieces, special recognition needs to go to uh, Roy Colavino um, for. Without him, we would not have the ability to make the film. Period. And but so by what, that point, what did he? How did what did he do? To well, I'm not at liberty to disclose exactly what he did. All let's just say that. Oh, without okay. Well, it's you know that's, that sounds kind of sinister. Did he kill somebody? What, what did he do? <laughs> no, he saved people. Actually, he saved the film. Okay, um, he made it possible. Let's just say he was very supportive financially. Oh, um, that's all he had to say. He he saved you with some money. Well, it's you know it's. Yeah. Hey, listen, so on he, this podcast, we tell it like it is, Jerry. We don't well, beat around the I, bush. That, though that's how it is. He came in and without his contribution to the film, and he contributed in many ways. He was on set every day. He participated. He delivered equipment that was needed. He delivered actual uh, – we had to build a birding tower. His family was very kind to let us build a tower. Like My brother built the tower. But Roy provided, and my brother almost died making this tower, by the way. It was crazy. Uh, you want to shout his happened. name out here? You want to shout his name out? Uh, Christian. Christian, Christian Latman. Thank He's, you very much he, for building he, a burning tower, Christian. He did a lot more than just build a burning tower, too. Like he, Thank you for everything you I, do, Christian. I don't want to turn this into a big thank you session, but there's a million, a lot okay, of people. Let, let's stay on target. Let's stay on. Let's the, talk about The point of this is that yeah. uh, the chips were down at one point. And certain people came along at certain points and made things possible. But what we never did was he never gave up. And I think that's an important point to make about any business is that Mm -hmm. you can't give up. There are many opportunities to kill this project. But to this day, the film's now in distribution. 
we've had a, a heck of a well, sorry, where, where can people see the birder if you want to shut that out? well you can i believe you can get it on itunes super okay. channel picked it up so this is a great <laughs> this is a great thing because a lot of people think that uh you know they think of the big distribution yeah. uh places like netflix amazon um things like that but there are other places where movies are shown such as oh, yeah. airlines are big on movies yeah. um we sold it super channel well. like you mentioned yeah there, there are other places where movies can be shown. So you manage to get, get in some places and, and these are these kind of like uh, more fringe places that need movie inventory. You were able to, to get distribution. Yeah, we, we ended up getting distribution globally. Not a lot happened in the distribution window uh, when the company had it. We've now got the film back into our library and I'm now seeking opportunities to make good on that film. Um, I'm not giving up on it because again, like the making of the film, if you just walk away, uh, I had to take a break. Frankly, I was exhausted. Uh, I took a bit of a hiatus, um, to go, I guess, work in a different kind of industry, making real money mm -hmm. and being able to create a life. Uh, but I never really left the idea that I would like to continue to make films. So let's continue well, you, you, to you've continued to be involved. You're executive producer of Boys versus Girls. Executive producer of The Control. Um, yeah, these There's are movies that play. you've made with with contacts that you made at film school. That yeah. uh, you continue to collaborate with to this day. Yeah, and it's very rewarding. Uh, I really enjoy the fact that I'm able to do that, and I look forward to making more films with them. Which is kind of where we're at right now. We just finished production. On a feature film this summer, let's talk low about it. Yeah, let's go. Let's talk, well, talk about it's it. a really cool film called Vampire Zombies from Space. There is a Kickstarter, and, I believe. Yes. Yes, sir, yes, there was. I wasn't. Which is uh, closed at this point, but is it? Yeah, it's it's closed now. Production is completed. But you can go there for information about the movie. Where, where can they go for information about the movie? Talk about that. I believe there's information on IMDb. On our website, I believe. Do you want to throw out the Kickstarter to get all the? Well, the kick Kickstarter's done. Um, but it ha but it has uh, it has news updates on it, does it not? That's the thing is Mike Stasco is managing all of that, so I'm not sure oh, what's up there okay. right now. I haven't actually looked up there in a while, um, so if I haven't been to Kickstarter myself much, my my role in that project is more as a producer exec producer so i was helping with putting pieces of that film together uh my my main i brought in a little bit later in the game but my role is to help with distribution so um yeah and that's right. the it's the next project that uh th that's a project that kind of just showed up on my radar working with mike uh having a well, long standing well, Go, go ahead and discuss your the project you you were speaking. Well, about the new the new project has been in development um, for a couple of years now. It started okay. as an outline. It's called Hum. All right, let's and, talk. Let's uh, let's go. What's the hook? Let's 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 sell it, baby. Well, I I don't really want to talk about it actually too oh, much. Okay. I don't. Well, we're not we're not ready to talk about it. Um, but when and, we are, we we will let you know. Yeah, we'll tweet about yeah. It. It's yeah. it's let's just put it this way. We're working on a project right now. It's a thriller. Mm -hmm. and it's hopefully to be shot this summer okay and so when we're ready to talk about it i'll come back and tell okay. you about that's tell you about that journey but this one it's a little early 
And until we have some of the, the pieces put together, there's not a lot to say. Okay, um, so we're, we're not chickens yet. We haven't hatched yet, so we're not going to count them yet. We're going to we're gonna exactly. wait on that. But let's yeah, let's I talk mean, about let's talk about some lessons from making and the, the, the things you've learned. Top three yeah. lessons or, or, or top lessons you've learned as an independent well, film producer in Canada. Yeah, I think the number one lesson is don't give up. Okay, um, well let's let's talk about people at the beginning of their career. Let's talk about those people who are aspiring to be producers. Uh, don't same, give up is one same, of them. Don't give up. Same lesson. Don't give up. What uh, regardless of where you're at in your career, if you give up, it's over. And what's oh, another one yeah, for, the, I mean, for, for the young for the young producers? That's a pretty common. That's a pretty common thing to say. Like you hear a lot of successful people talking about not giving up, but I think it's really true because okay. there's a lot of reasons to give up, and you have to figure out the reasons not to give up. All right, um, let's go. Next usually, lesson. Well, or, or do you have more to elaborate on that? I saw I did. I kind of cut you off there. Uh, no, no, I'm good. Uh, I mean, it's pretty standard comment or uh i would say a lesson learned in the film world is know your market uh know you know know the audience that your project is geared towards and mm -hmm. ideally you're pick you're picking you're picking a market that is sizable enough that. Well, let, let's talk about let's talk about uh, if you, it's just pure game theory here. You're trying yeah. to make a successful independent movie. the 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 board is clean. What are we? What What should we be doing? It as depends far as, on it what depends market. On, what What kind yeah. of movie? What genre of movie? T talk about the ideal scenario for a first movie. What do you think that would be for for a new producer? See, that's a tough one to answer, Paul. Because in my opinion, that depends on what kind of person you are. Oh, and what kind of movie and what and what kind of movies you want to make and what kind of message you want to put out there when we started we started with the idea of we wanted to make a good comedy film we like mm -hmm. comedy we wanted to make comedy we didn't really factor in although we we thought we were factoring in the business world like the market we knew the target audience but one little detail that we didn't learn till it was too late on things to do was that you know comedy traveling by the time we were in we couldn't turn back we had to keep moving and i feel like comedies are tough so so, so just from your experience you say you people should avoid comedies possibly as their first film no, just from a purely just from a pure game theory point of view not necessarily i mean some comedies um well let me ask you this Right now, in this point in time, what are yeah. distributors looking for? Do you know that? Do you, do, or do you have an idea of that? No. Oh, does that, is it just no one knows? It's just like, whatever. No, no I, 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 you're asking me if I know what distributors are looking at. That would mean that I would have had to chat with them and get a sense of what they're looking for. Um, okay. And I have chatted with some streamers and I've chatted with, some distributors um and i think by and large it depends on the distributor number one what what, so, is, what are they so so if i'm gonna just would you suggest that a producer starting out might want to have some chat with distributors try to get meetings with yeah. distributors just to get a sense of what they might be looking for yeah i yeah i think first and foremost you have to have a sense of who you are and what kind of movies you want to make 
Where and do you see if you can align your interests yeah. with the interests of the partnership exactly. that you're looking to take on? Okay. Exactly. That's great. That's yeah. great. That's and I think there's some good producers out there who are doing just that and they stand for something. They, um, they know what kind of movies they want to make and they forge forward with that plan, that strategy, and then understanding also who's in the market distribution wise, who could support that strategy and going and working and partnering with those players is what I would do. I think you gotta, you gotta remember, we all are going to die one day. So you have a certain number of hours. That's, a, that's a weird turn, man. Okay. That's not a weird turn at all. It's it's a fact of life that you got to okay. spend the days and hours, your your days and your hours doing something that matters to you. I mean, that's in my opinion, that is the point of living is that you have to, you have to enjoy what you're doing. Um, and if you're doing something, then you have to find the joy in doing that thing whatever it is. If, if you don't know what you want to do and you're just doing something, I don't recommend that necessarily. I recommend understanding who you are and where you stand and what you believe in and going after that and finding your way. It's going to be a rough road, but you don't give up and you keep at it and eventually you will get through. That's right. what do, I believe. Do you, do you have a third piece of advice or are we good with uh, that? Those, I think those are two pieces of advice. I'm not sure. Uh, you know, there's lots of advice someone could give. Uh, I, think uh, I'll, you, you, I'll I, can, I can tell you, you don't feel like you. you, you no, I don't want to make something up just to make something. Okay, up. okay. Let me let me, let me ask you another question. Advice. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Recommend one book, one podcast. Oh boy. One album, oh, and gosh. one food. These are your wow. recommendations. These are your recommendations. I hate to admit this, but I'm not a big podcast guy, but there's only one podcast I really listen to, mm -hmm. and it's uh, Joe Rogan. Okay. That's, that's fine. Um, sure. Book-wise, Good to Great. I read that. Classic, yeah. Um, that's about, you know, getting the right people on the bus. Sorry, what is it? Food? Uh, one album. Music album, album, and oh, easy one. The white album, the white, the, the white album. Beatles white album. Yeah, easy. All right, that's an easy that's, one. That's, that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, food, and then food wise, I love food. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I that's a tough one. I mean, Listen, I mean we I like we, we ask we have tough I'll questions you, on this I'll, on this I'll, podcast. I'll, I'll give you one, but it, in right. order for you to try it, you got to connect with me. It's mm. my mom, my grandmother's Swiss chocolate cake. It's oh, the best I want cake it. You're ever, I want the best it. cake you're ever gonna eat. In I fact, am a I've huge fan of cake. I'm a huge fan of cake. You like chocolate? I'm a cake enthusiast. I love yeah. chocolate cake. Yeah, cake in all its forms. I even eat cake pops pops at Starbucks, which is ridiculous. Well, this is actually not a, who eats a who eats a cake pop at Starbucks. It's ridiculous. This is not that kind of cake, though, Paul. I should probably. I don't care it. if it's cake. I will eat it. I will eat it as, as I, in a cup form. Okay. Cupcakes. I I'll eat that. I, in a popsicle form, I'll eat it. Birthday wise, wedding wise, I love cake. Give me cake. Okay. Well. Just I also on. enjoy it as a as a slang term for uh, a lady's buttocks. I enjoy that. Is that, that use is of that the word slang? cake. Yeah. Yeah. I did that's not a, know that's that. It's also yeah, the use of the word money. 
Use of the word money, I'm completely for. Money has got a lot of, like, there's too much slang for money, I think. But um, yeah, that's true. I, I'm completely in favor of popular every thing, though. Cake. Yeah. It warrants having multiple names for it, given how popular money is, you know. I well, mean, you know how, I guess, the Inuit have, I think, 50 different names for snow because it's such a big part of their lives. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, we have so many names for money because it's such a yeah, big part of our lives. Pretty, you know? pretty sad, right? How money drives everything. I mean, well, yeah, I think, yeah, it is what it is, right? Well, I watched this uh, documentary. I think it was called Zeitgeist or something. Um, mm -hmm. It was really long. It was like two, two, three hours long or something. Mm -hmm. And they proposed a new economic system. They were, criticizing the capitalist system and how socialism wouldn't work. And uh, I found it really interesting at the end of the movie, how they proposed this world that uh, people could live in where they, they would do away with money. And um, we would all just have everything we need because it's possible. We, nobody would own their own chainsaw. You'd go borrow or rent or I don't know, take it out of the community chainsaw. I don't know why you'd need a chainsaw, but that's the idea. And there's so much waste in our current system. I really agreed with a lot of what they were saying in this doc. And uh, unfortunately, I don't think we'll ever be able to get off of the drug of money that we're on. Well, I mean, this, this is a, uh, this, this is a business podcast. So I'm, uh, we're, we're kind of pro oh, right. around here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's a little awkward. Uh, I feel kind of awkward right now. I don't know. You know, maybe that's from. that's a good way to close it out, huh? <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, Listen, Jerry, thank you so much for being the very first guest <laughs> <laughs> on the uh, uh, on, on the podcast, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. We've been on friends money. for a long time. And as you mentioned, uh, it is my script which launched your career. And don't you ever yeah. forget it. No, it's a um, great yeah. way to start the podcast, having me on to talk about that. It's a good connective tissue there in terms of mm -hmm. telling the story. And for anybody who's wondering why we call it the Dot Film Company, just so we're clear, it's mm -hmm. not because we were at one point located in Toronto, which is also known as T-Dot. Nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with connecting the dots. Oh, Whether you're good. telling a story or you're putting a project together, you're connecting the dots. That's what a producer does. You connect the dots. That's what we do. Oh, I love it, Jerry. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Uh, we will thank chat you. again. Uh, I'm sure we've been chatting for years. So once again, thank you so much for bringing insights into the independent Canadian film producing realm. And I think our listeners will appreciate this and many more to come. So good job, Jerry. Yeah, show show them what it's about, man. Just go. If you're watching on YouTube, uh, Jerry is doing very manly things with his arms right now. So we appreciate him. We appreciate you. And uh, we'll see you in the next episode where we break down the inner workings of all things business. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Peace out.